Welcome to Damn Fine Commentary, the internet's only Twin Peaks podcast with a real-life Dave and Lynch. In this series, we'll be reviewing and chatting about each of the 18 parts of Twin Peaks Season 3. So as they say in the Black Lodge... Here we go, this is actually happening. I'm Phil Willis. I'm Nav Prasad. I'm Steve Lynch. And we'll have Dave Bluestein joining us very shortly as well, giving us a wrap-up of what the hell we have just seen. What have we just seen? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I have been waiting, like everyone, for 26 years for this, and I'm a bit of a Twin Peaks nostalgia kind of girl, and I must say there was not a lot of Twin Peaks in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Which I loved. I, I've been feeling like it's just going to be pure David Lynch messing with everyone and somewhere in the back of my mind, ever since they announced it, I'm like, there is going to be like 90% of the fans who just want to have cherry pie and coffee are going to hate whatever <laughs> David Lynch unleashes on the world. So right. And I'm going to love it. All right. You are so subversive. I know, I know. Um, all right, well, while we're talking about that, let's uh, cross to Dave, who's going to give us a nice little plot synopsis of... Plot. What, <laughs> yes, plot. I wish to use the term loosely. Um of, well, we can't call it episode one because David Lynch insists on it be called part one of what I guess is an 18-part massive movie or whatever he wants to call it. Um, So take it away, Dave. Thanks, guys. For these first few episodes, I am literally the man from another place as A, I'm not in the place that you guys are in and B, I'm actually in a room above a convenience store. My lounge room is above a convenience store, so I win the podcast. So episode one begins with the giant, or as he's now known, a row of six question marks, speaking to an aged up Dale Cooper in what I assume is the White Lodge. The floor is filthy. The lampshade looks like it came from Savers. Apparently, when you don't trade in pain and suffering, you can't afford nice things. He tells Coop to remember 430 and Richard and Linda, two birds, one stone. I'm sure that will all be incredible important 10 episodes from now. Dr. Jacoby, now disgraced and living in a caravan in the woods, receives a bunch of shovels from some dude. We then go to New York City, the untwin pixiest place on earth, where a young man called Sam watches a big glass box in an empty warehouse paid for by a billionaire. Apparently he's supposed to watch the box and see if anything appears inside. Just so we're clear, the billionaire is not the CEO of Showtime and David Lynch is not trolling us. Either way, Sam and a girl called Tracy are ripped apart by a ghostly otherworldly creature just as they start having sex. Apparently David Lynch still hates horny teenagers. Back in the town of Twin Peaks, time has not been kind to Jerry Horn, or at least to his short-term memory, as he's grown a beard, donned a knitted cap, and traded in his stake at the Old Northern to start a medical marijuana business. He still busts into Brother Ben's office with delightful things to eat, but now they're a little bit more Moorish. Ben also seems to have a newfound respect for women, or at least for Aretha Franklin. Next on the I Can't Believe It's Been 25 Years list of former cast cameos is Lucy Moran, now Lucy Brennan, because she married Andy. We learn that there are also two Sheriff Trumans, but when it's sick, it's been 25 years, Lucy. I think you can say retired, and we and spend the whole season waiting to see if they'll drag in Michael on Keen. We also catch up with Cooper's evil doppelganger, or as I'm calling him, Duper, who is slumming it up with a guy named Ray and a gal called Daria. Meanwhile, in Buckhorn, South Dakota, a woman called Marjorie Green tips the police off to her dead neighbour, Ruth Davenport. After a bit of nonsense that appears to have no real importance to the story other than reminding us that small-town Americans are not too bright, the police get into the apartment and find the head of Ruth Davenport with a bullet to the eye attached to the body of a fat, hairy John Doe. The prints around the house belong to school principal Bill Hastings, 
things. And before you can say, like Scoob, guest actor Matthew Lillard has been arrested and placed in a cell for Ruth's murder. A police investigation reveals there's a gap in his alibi. Either way, the cops go over his house with a fine tooth comb and a stuttering flashlight, just like in episode one of the original series. Bit of a callback. And uh, find a little chunk of flesh in the boot of the car. Looks kind of like a knuckle. I I don't know, like a, a removed mole. I've got no idea. I paused the frame and I still couldn't tell, but something gross. Back in Twin Peaks, Hawk gets a message from Margaret, the log lady, saying something is missing and it has to do with Agent Dale Cooper and the way he'll find it has something to do with his heritage. Well, Margaret, way to white-splain Native American history to the best cop in the county. So that's all we have at the end of episode one. There we go. And now we're all caught up. Clear as mud. (laughs) (laughs) What What did you think? Well, Steve, what did you think coming into this? Like, what was your expectation? Were you thinking... Uh, in particular of what you thought you were going to see or knowing how TV's changed so far, were you expecting, oh, no, this is going to be completely different? Or Yeah, I guess I, I thought it was going to absolutely mess with everyone's expectations. There's no way that David Lynch was going to want to come back uh, and just do a season three where we pick up, uh, even if it is 25 years later, and just go back to the high school and do all the funny little things. It was always going to be something uh, where he was going to be guided by, uh, at the the risk of sounding wanky, you know, guided by his muse. It was, if he gets an idea, he's going to follow it and he doesn't care about that everyone's loved it and fetishised it for 20 years. He's going to follow what his ideas are. And so I've always had that in the back of my mind. I just sort of knew if I prepare myself for that, (laughs) then I'm I'm not going to be crying myself to sleep, uh, but instead I'll just be taken on a ride. Yeah, right. So were you preparing yourself for the worst then or? Well, I don't know now that I think about it. Like I I was really hoping to see more of Twin Peaks and more of what I, and maybe this is a nostalgia thing back to, you know, I was, I don't know, must have been about 17 years old or so when it first came out. Was I disappointed at the end of this first episode? Definitely not. There are a few things that I thought, oh, that's a bit unexpected. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, But I think on the whole, I thought it was a pretty good start to, 18 hours of bliss. Yeah, yeah. Well, it just, uh, even my first notes that I just made, watching the first 10 minutes and 15 minutes, so we start in uh, with that cold open in the red room and we've got uh, Laura Palmer snapping her fingers and I'll see you in 25 years. And then we're just straight into credit sequence and Black Lodge and it's slow, it's ponderous. Then we've got... Jacoby, you know, taking possession of a bunch of shovels for God knows what reason. And that's a nice, it's a, well, it's a nice shot, beautifully shot. Like it screams Twin Peaks in terms of it's in the woods. It's, yeah. it's, uh, well, actually, it's interesting you say that because actually after the red, lo- the red room scene, we actually go back and see a few scenes from the old Twin Peaks. Oh, from the we go original, to the yeah. school, mm. the, um, the trophy cabinet, yeah. not zeroing in on the, the homecoming picture of Laura Palmer. So that probably set up an expectation, um, for some people. So, yeah, I'm kind of, it was interesting. Yeah. I feel like that that flashback that, that they did the, the big long zoom in and uh, spoilers, I have seen a couple more episodes than the episode one that we're talking about today, but they haven't repeated that. So this is just like a one-off thing and uh, I felt like it was a, a, an acknowledgement that this show, even when it goes a long way away, in the same way that episode, uh, that seasons one and two or the first incarnation of Twin Peaks Laura Palmer was always just sitting under the surface. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it was giving you that same message that we may go in a whole lot of different places, but uh, but David Lynch and Mark Frost still remain committed to the idea of Laura. She's the veritable anchor for this whole yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, so and I think the big thing for me was just how 
how willing David Lynch is just to take his time. He's not in a rush. He's got, you know, these long scenes where we're looking at a perspex box and then we're looking at the guy looking at the box and we're looking at the cameras that are looking at the box and we're watching this. We're sitting at home looking at a box, looking at a box, (laughs) waiting for something to happen. I was just entranced like so yes there were there were a lot of bits that took their time or that were much even weirder than I expected but at the same time I can't remember the last time I've watched TV just glued to glued in in place and having no idea where they're going to go next yeah um, and that's I mean there is a whole lot of amazing TV around at the moment but all of them you you know where the plots are setting you up for and there's going to be a payoff of some sort here I'm just I'm just being taken on a ride and I've got no idea. Well, That's... most TV I think is still relatively linear. Yeah, in its yeah. Plot mm. structure and this is definitely not the case with with Dreamers. I'm gonna say you know those big city scenes. So I think there's a scene in New York which is really new, mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't sure how I felt about it and I was, I was as I was watching it. And I've watched part one a couple of times now, and the more I think about it, the more beautiful I think those scenes yeah. actually are, just in terms of the light and the sound. And I think we're going to talk about that quite a bit through through this podcast. So I, I won't dwell on it too much here, but they were just beautiful scenes to look at. Yeah, that, that establishing shot of New York City, uh, I was uh, I, I was just in love with the look of it. Yeah, and it's, it's clearly, well, I don't know, in my opinion, it doesn't look like st- stock footage because it's it's almost shot, a lot of stock footage you'll get of New York, it's it's there to emphasise the height of the buildings, but mm. this one was kind of almost shot from higher, uh, if that makes sense, and it's just emphasising how much light uh, and uh, energy there is in a place like that. Um, so, yeah, so that was really fantastic to see that. Uh, one thing I'm talking about splicing back to the original, like literally the original Twin Peaks episodes, thank God he shot on film is all I can say because mm. we were getting a really like a high-fidelity, good-looking look at TV that was made, you know, like we say, more than 26 years ago now. So, yeah, and it still looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I should probably... Uh, point out or just give everyone that's listening to this a warning. Uh, I'm a very uncritical viewer of many things, so it's very rare that I'm like, oh, look, I was really disappointed by that new thing. I'm always the biggest fanboy of things and I'll, and I'll defend it to the death uh, unless it's uh, Zack Snyder doing Superman. Right. Um, but, um, so I'm, uh, it's going to be rare that I'm like, oh, I thought that was really bad or I think that this is a, a, a backward step, but... Uh, the thing that I <laughs> probably love the most about this series or, or something that's given me a lot of joy um, is that this show now, the, the season three of Twin Peaks, uh, is doing to uh, TV now what it did in 1990. That is, yes. in 1990, uh, TV was Cheers and LA Law and yep. it was just so yeah, simple and sure. so straightforward. And TV has come just so far along mm. but David Lynch is now still proving I can still mess with it more than you could even imagine that I that I possibly could yeah and I I've had the fortunate experience of uh, having seen the first two seasons a couple of times I recently grabbed friends and started them watching again so I was watching people experience Twin Peaks for the first time oh and what so was that like that was so cool that was incredible because I obviously knew what was coming with everything, but so for example, the first couple of episodes where there's eight or nine of us crammed into a room, and of course we'd already had cherry pie and everyone, and yeah. they didn't know what was coming next, but they were they were like, oh yeah, oh who killed Laura Palmer? Oh, it must have been him. All that Bobby Briggs looks, man, maybe it's him. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were doing that surface thing, but then there was this also awesome subsurface part of it where so remember those first few episodes, Sarah Palmer 
just was hysterical. Oh, yeah. Yes. She just cried and cried and her hair's all crazy. And one of the girls that I was watching with uh, was just going, ah, uh, she's annoying, ah, uh, she's crying, ah, uh, this is... This part, I just can't get over this part. Boring, Sarah Palmer, boring. And that was the moment that you see Bob. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck was that? (laughs) And it was just delightful to see the way that he was messing with with the, the, the form, even back then. And so with the new show, I feel like, okay, so for all these years, all of us have been patting ourselves on the back, just going, oh, man, people back then in America back then they just didn't get it they just didn't get how artistic yeah, his yeah, vision yeah. was <laughs> and they couldn't handle it but I know that if I was around in 1990 I would have loved it yeah. and now he's actually doing it now put up or shut up guys yes. like, can we deal with what David Lynch wants to throw yeah. well there's a couple of things that you said and I'm going to un- want to unpack a couple of those but the first thing in terms of genres right so really what David Lynch did in the early 90s was he took some really well established genres like the soap opera the crime procedural yep. and just turned them on its head because yeah. really that's what you know, the first season of Twin Peaks definitely was. Then it kind of went to that crazy spiritual stuff, which is a recurring theme for all, at least this first part that we see. The other thing we should talk about, and I know it's at the end of, of part one, is Sarah Palmer, seeing as you mm. raised it, Lynchy. Mm. I mean, that, I've got to say, was one of the most yeah. incredible scenes of this part. Yeah. Um, the, we've talked about light, but just that... I don't. For the guys who haven't, who haven't watched it or don't remember it, it's um, Sarah's watching television. She's in this house mm. all by herself. It's a mausoleum to her, her long-departed daughter. And there's nothing but the blue light of a big-screen TV. Now, this house has not changed since season one, apart from this massive television that <laughs> yeah, occupies right, the yeah. entire room. Yeah. And her. she is transfixed watching this wildlife documentary. It's really gruesome. And her reaction to it is was just quite incredible. She was transfixed, almost yeah. titillated or fetishized, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Violence on on television, and of course, still drinking like a fish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now we should point out, just because we have all seen uh, parts one, two, three, and four, we might jump between parts one and two. It, look, honestly, they're all dropped simultaneously. Uh, at the same time, so it's it's not like we're sort of giving too many spoilers. I suspect, if my notes are correct, I suspect that might have even been in episode two, actually. <gasps> oh no, I'm so sorry, yeah, guys. Yeah, I knew. We'll fix it in post. Yeah, that's right. We'll fix it all uh-huh. up. Um, no, that's no, look. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Like because because I think we've got this. We're in this weird situation where we're talking about uh, these things part by part, and yet we've kind of seen ahead a little bit. But that's going to finish very soon. And David Lynch is going to torture us and drip feed these episodes through uh, to the point where I feel like not since maybe the original Twin Peaks when it first dropped, there's nothing else to do except talk and gossip amongst your friends. They're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And you've, you've literally got this torturous week where you've got nothing else to do but talk to your friends about what the hell just happened? What's going what's going on? Um, you know, what, what's going to happen next? And so. yet the, he's taken it to the next level because instead of it being, as Nav said, a, a linear story mm. where we we know what has come before and what is about to – or that that X is going to lead to Y but we don't know how and yep. we don't know what Y is going to be. We don't even know – whether it's Y we're going to see or Z or A or Pi or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, it's right. just going to be jumping around because, uh, again, as you said, Phil, it's, he's seeing it as an 18-part movie and apparently he only decided in the editing process how to split up various parts. Oh, really? Of wow. But I think he definitely knew he wanted the 18 parts. A, a couple of years ago um, there was a, and you know, I don't know how much of this is kind of building up some hype for the show, but uh, a dispute between David Lynch and Showtime. And I think it was around 
how much time he was actually going to be given to um, to, to create this new, you know, new Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds, I mean, he, he got his way in the end, but I think he, from the outset he had a very clear picture that he needed 18 hours to tell this story. Yeah, yeah. Or, or even if not necessarily 18 hours, he needed a set amount of money because he had a, a script of yeah. a certain length and it was all going to be shot and he... Obviously, as an experienced director, he knows vaguely yeah. how much all of that stuff is going to cost, and he wasn't going to be lowballed. And um, I, I think, I mean, yeah, I I, <laughs> I wore my heart on my sleeve all those times when the Twitter announcement was made that it's coming back. I was just, as I'm sure all of you guys were, yeah. just I think I might have wet mind. myself actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I wet you too. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he to get that that second tweet about a year later saying I'm stepping away. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, God. God. Like, you're like, what's the point? No, don't do it. I'd rather know Twin Peaks than anything. Exactly. Yeah, and And because we've seen seen the results of that, the train wreck that was season two. Well, the back end of season two. Yeah. Well, having having (laughs) just done it again, so it's just very, very recent. And leading up to it, I'm like, now I remember this getting weird and obviously the internet says season two becomes a train wreck. Like, It'll be interesting to see how, is this going to be as bad? Oh, my God, yes, it's as bad as I thought. Because it was literally, they solved the murderer, they had two more episodes to sort of wrap that up and his funeral and everything, and then almost like that, like it just became hideously bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then then again, they got themselves back on track maybe the last three or so episodes of season two and had that magnificent finale. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, it's clear that, like, off the back of the last, you know, two or three episodes of season two, that, well, you know, back when David Lynch decided to reassert himself and he directed the, the final episode, the tremendous cliffhanger episode. Where he threw out the script, by the way. Oh, well. Is that he just right? decided yeah, to go off the top of that, his dome. So they had most of it, or they had the full script, and apparently everyone showed up to work, and he said to the set designers and uh, production designers and everything else, um... I wouldn't spend too much time worrying about that script if I were you. Mark, ABC, we've got an issue here. And I said, ah, just let him go with it. What were they going to do, sack him at that well, stage? That's right. Oh, that's right, yeah. And, of course, what... what what happened was just one of the great hours of TV. Yeah, yeah. The You can tell that this season is doubling down on that because in the opening credits, not only do you have, like, the, the waterfall with the Great Northern, albeit sort of shot with a different angle, shot from a different angle, they just go straight to red curtains mm. and we've got the red velvet and the white black and white chevrons of the of the floor yeah. design. So there's there's no doubt that... Yeah, he's just put a shot across the bow just to let you know it is going to be a lot about yeah. the Red Room, the Black Lodge, the White Lodge, all of that lore, which was the stuff that I really liked anyway. All of the Windham Earl and all that other sort of stuff that got crazy in, in season two, it's great to see that he's just doubling down and saying, like, no, nope, this is what it's going to be about. Yep. I hope you like it. Yep. And I also love and that Mark Frost is obviously down for that as well because yep. I think um, it's so easy for us all to talk about David Lynch and Mark Frost often gets forgotten about, and obviously he was a big part of the initial throwing Absolutely. conventions on yep. their head as well because yep. he had the background in TV. He was part of Hill Street Blues. Yep. and um, So obviously he doesn't... I think I don't think he gets enough credit for how incredibly uh, well he channeled Lynch's uh, visuals. Um, but obviously he's down for the Black Lodge part of it as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, again, yeah, the, those first scenes from that first scene you knew, okay... We're, we're not here just for the cherry pie and the double R diner. Yeah. We've got, we're, we're buckling up. Which brings us to 
we've got this cannot go unremarked upon. The first time we see Cooper's evil doppelganger emerging from the Mercedes <laughs> like a badass. Yeah. Who could have told him played by Tommy Wiseau? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Greasy, slick back hair. And, yeah. Oh, hi, Mike. Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I killed her for my Garmin balls. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah I don't even was, know where to start. Yeah. The, well, the start before we even saw him, he had his own theme song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That bluesy American woman song, but just slowed down to thirty percent. Yeah. <laughs> it was just this crazy slow visual, and we had the the headlights going. The on Lost road. Highway sort of yeah. Yeah. headlights oh, coming yeah. in right. thing. Exactly. Yeah. So it, I mean, this is sort of it's kind of obvious now that we think about it now. But this is not just a sequel to his TV work. It's obviously it's a you know it's incorporating all of his visual work, oh. including his sculpture and paintings and movies and all that sort of stuff. So it should be no surprise that we're seeing these sort of elements of, uh, and we see more of it later on. Race ahead, and we're getting Lost Highway, Blue Velvet, Mulholland obviously, Drive. Mulholland Drives in there. Yeah. So anyway, it's so great story. It's totally the not so much straight. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Harry Dean Anderson's still in it, I guess. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um, but yeah, bad. But no, let's go back to bad Cooper. Bad Cooper. Bad Cooper. Oh, so, he. There's no messing around. Look, I, I don't know how much he's being controlled by Bob, or if he even is being controlled by Bob, because technically, because he's the evil, he's like a, he's the bad doppelganger. He could just be a badass by himself, even without the influence of Bob, right? I think I, I read somewhere like a, a really nice distinction that someone drew, and obviously a fanboy, same as all of us, so yeah. they don't know anything. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but someone said he's not possessed by Bob; he's with Bob. Uh, and there's yeah. another uh. part, again, I think not necessarily in part one, so we'll get to it later, but where someone talks about being with Bob again. Uh, and yep. so that might be the difference between Leland Palmer, who's possessed by Bob, yep. uh, and Philip yeah. Gerard, who's possessed by Mike, whereas if you're the doppelganger, then you're with Bob. Yes. But not necessarily possessed by um, which still comes out in growing your hair long. Not washing. That's what you do, yeah. Not quite doing the double denim of Bob, but yeah, uh, yeah. definitely uh, uh, his own wardrobe But that snakeskin shirt. There you go. What do you reckon, that badass or um, a little bit laughable? Look, i got to say, I think a little bit laughable, (laughs) but I'm okay with that Um, until we sort of see the first few, um, you know, depictions of just how violent this character really is mm. and a lot of that comes in later episodes but that first that opening scene where he goes up to otis's house and i kind of i think this character doesn't even have a name is standing outside and he just whacks him oh yeah mm. it was um you know this is a new level you know the original twin peaks was violent there is no doubt about it firewalk can be very violent oh, yeah. i think we're just seeing a very stylized and elevated form of violence and i'm interested to see how that plays out for yes. the rest of the season um, again, having just re-experienced the first uh, Twin Peaks parts again, um, the death of Maddie Ferguson is still just about the most horrific oh, thing yeah. ever seen on TV. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he's he's going to be able to bring it. And, and TV standards are such that, and it's a cable show, so I mean, you can do whatever you like. We haven't had, because I did make a note of it, I think it's in episode two we hear our first sort of obscenity. Um, I think they've maybe said son of a bitch or something like that, but up until then, but we, yeah, we drop our first F-bomb in, uh, in part two. We'll get to that later. But also, 
We get to see our first nudity. I was going to say, I we get about, to see tits and yeah. ass. Oh, my. When you started that with, we get to see. <laughs> we, get to see. <laughs> yeah, we do get to see. We do. Well, because the, the next scene is we're back in the glass box room. Um, Tracy uh, has managed to... Did, did she get a, like, remove the security guard so that she could come in and uh, make out yeah, with the boyfriend? Nice. Or? All right. Um, but on that, on that nudity, I'd just like to... So for both of you here now and for everyone that's listening, just stop and remember that scene in a moment. Remember, like, that it was... You, you saw her, her naked backside, you saw her breasts. And now be aware that that actress is the youngest daughter from the nanny. Yes, I know. <laughs> and you're all freaking weird. Oh, you're all going Just to hell. Oh, to dude, why would you spoil <laughs> such a beautiful memory? Ah, oh, yes, well. But she was in Californication as well. Oh, was she? She was. So she was the... Uh, the sassy teenage stepdaughter that ends up uh, having a very a very crazy fling with David Duchovny's character. Mm. So, oh, so Denise and Tracy. Yeah. Yes, there you go. <laughs> There's the connection. So I don't think uh, clearly they're not going to uh, have scenes together, but mm. it was just a nice little bit of casting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Can I say one other thing about that uh, that scene in New York? Or two things. Firstly, and maybe most uh, most surface level and pedantic of me. Uh, I love season one and season two with the the coffee. Everyone loves how they love their damn fine coffee. And as Australian snobs, we're like, well, coffee in America is pretty bad. But (laughs) when I saw that upgraded to the 21st century and he's drinking a latte from something that's the size of a milkshake, (laughs) it was like, America, your coffees are too big. Oh, yeah, what's wrong with you people, yeah. Well, I didn't spend a lot of time drinking, I must say, because uh, between <laughs> between making out, disrobing, and then uh, being attacked by some kind being of slash today practical effects claymation looking, yeah. uh, like it's, it's really harking back to some of David Lynch's early work, like race ahead yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah. Another thing that scene uh, really gave me the feeling of at the very start is uh, two thousand and one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. The way that it kept cutting back to the the portal as if the portal is watching him rather than the other way around. That was how. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And it continues into the the next stuff. I guess we're sort of working our way through it. I'm literally in my notes here. So this is the one where we go to Buckhorn and we get the first shot of that weird... It looks it's a hotel or a block of apartments. This is where Ruth, it's the apartments. Yeah, with uh, where the, we find out that Ruth Davenport has been murdered, and we uh, run into is it Marjorie? What did you call? I her? like to call her Minnesota Marjorie. Minnesota Marjorie. I'm, I'm sure she's not from Minnesota, but she just had the just the darndest accent. Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> <Just bargain. laughs> yeah, like, exactly. I'm not sure if I agree with you, police work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even that, but even that first shot, she's walking the dog all the way down, and you got that. Kubrick hotel shot. Like if there was a kid on a tricycle riding yeah, around, you just go, like, "Hello, it's Kubrick all over again." Yeah, yeah, that was classic Lynch. That whole uh, that whole scenario of her saying, "Oh my gosh," and then the police coming and just that comedy with uh, her, and then the the brother and talking about the uh, what was it? it was the the neighbor, and then she talks about Barney, and then we go to Barney's brother, and he talks about Hank. But Chip and is dealing with Harvey. Yes. And then, exactly. <laughs> and then she's got the keys a whole lot. Yeah. Oh, like, oh, I should be watering her, her, her flowers. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I know some people didn't love that, but I just thought that I was awesome. I thought it was adorable. And it's really interesting how it was an interesting juxtaposition against the, incred- the violence of the, the unnamed character and Tracy um, scene before that. But also, you know, I kind of think this is David Lynch's affection for small towns. I think he's, he just can't sort of, you know, do that kind of dark, stylized depiction. He's got this sort of nostalgic view of small towns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and a lot of them with sort of very dark, deep stories hiding sure. just not too far under the surface. So, yeah. Um, 
Did anyone else pick up that? So we already have this sense that there's going to be all this uh, Black Lodge, Red Room, all that kind of, um, I guess, mythology that they're trying to tie back to Native American uh, mythology and stuff like that. Um, and the place, the place is on Arrowhead Road. Uh, oh, yes, somehow that's, that's so some true. sort of link there. So I don't know. It was just something I made in my notes. And I'm just thinking, oh, is there something going on here? What's what's all that about? So yeah, the apparently there's more to that coming up in future episodes. Apparently, some nerds on the internet have done some detective work looking at books on the bookshelf, uh, and they thought they might uh, have spotted something. So well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I you're a bit of a nerd on the front too. I uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm always going to be trawling Reddit and just looking for <laughs> theories and stuff. Um, but I think there's. That is going to. I saw somewhere someone saying, "Oh, that's. I think that's just a, a one episode wonder, and we know that the school principal character did it." I, I think it's going to be the opposite. That's going to be, if not Laura Palmer levels of the central mystery, uh, as much of Teresa Banks and Ronit Plasky and just the, the the part of the horror that these that Bob and the Lodge spirits create is is responsible for that and that's really going to link strongly of the next few episodes. Well, and I just can't believe that David Lynch wouldn't do something when he's got this setup of a decapitated woman's head yeah. sitting on top of a man's body flying <laughs> yeah. in her and I watched with a hole in her eye. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I watched that with my fiance. Uh, she uh, fell asleep the first time. <laughs> the first time I watched it. And then second time she was in the room again and she thought she'd seen everything and that came up and she was like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> so I was like, that's the that's reaction the ex- that Lynch yeah, is going exactly. you know, He does that sort of thing. Lynch does this so often. There's an open door and you can't exactly see what's around the door and he's pushing the camera in and pushing the camera in. Is Oh, there's something about, yeah. something's behind that door. Something, someone's getting behind the door and he's taking his time. Something's behind the door and, you just, oh, and then you finally get the reveal. So. And really interesting, there's this dull hum that mm. sort of goes all the way through and I'm trying to work out whether, you know, that dull hum is leading us there or we're kind of we're following it. It's, it's a really interesting use of sound as well. But um, I kind of think that uh, if first impressions are anything to go by, I think sound may be another cast member for this. Oh, season. yeah, that's yeah, right. that's totally true. That, the, that, again, going back to seasons one and two, where to uh, to paraphrase the the man from another place there's there was always music in the air yeah. Yeah. in that first and you'd just think even though it was uh, really just three different refrains and, and variations <laughs> of that there was the Twin Peaks theme yep. there was Laura Palmer's theme which would either be the do do oh, scary yeah. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. then the the sad piano part yeah. and then just variations on the brushes yeah 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 the Audrey's theme yeah and that was but that was always there so that would punctuate whether it was comedy or sadness or anything it was always there and aside from one little moment in I think episode three or four um, there's just been next to no music yeah yes and that's it's I think most of the times it's extremely effective there's a couple of times where I think it really would have helped but he's clearly made a choice and he wants more more folly more sort of Footsteps and clonking and static and buzzing and sounds and, and, and less uh, yeah. less music. Yeah. It probably um, allows us to segue into one of the great one of the scenes I'm thinking of that uh, that could could have and should have if it was in the original Twin Peaks uh, series. Definitely would have had that um, you know crazy jazz <laughs> snare soundtrack underneath it. So let's talk about the returning characters that have come back. So the one I'm thinking of is, is Ben and Jerry yeah. Horn. Yeah. How has that not got some sort of uh, synth, yeah. you know, saxophone oh jazz God. underneath I, that? Oh, I missed that. I missed it. I, I agree. I love, I mean, I, 
I think uh, uh, Richard Bamer has been horned, just nailed it, just was so totally back in character. <laughs> I know, nothing has changed. the cigars, yeah. exact straight moment. But then there were, there were two things that I missed from that because I love that dynamic between Jen, Ben and Jerry. Jen and Berry. Uh, yes. That's, <laughs> that's, their, that's their doppelganger. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but the, the music, like you said, Phil, but also I, one thing that I really felt that scene was missing was I would have loved more close-ups on Jerry's face and the way that they, they used to go close-up, they, they were much wider and mm. so you couldn't see Jerry from behind his beard and yeah. it just sounded like the most delightful character still and he's still got that same little puck yeah, <laughs> yeah. thing about him but I, it was just, I felt a little bit removed from it um, which was a tragedy because it was such that they had the best dynamic yeah. and they still clearly do. I just would have loved to have been involved in it. I well. think you were looking for some instant gratification there. Maybe. I, think, I, think <laughs> we're gonna, I don't think we're, we're seeing the last of Ben and Jerry. Yeah, That's for I sure. So. No. so who else did we see? So we saw Ben and Jerry come back. We've seen Jacoby again in a wide shot. We didn't really get a good close-up look of the mm. guy. So, But again, it's really interesting. So obviously the red and, green, the red and blue glasses are there, but where yeah. are the Hawaiian shirts? Oh, He's, he's in dungaree. I know. He's, he's, he's got, he's got some shoveling to do. He's got a whole bunch of shovels on, on order and, yeah. Well, according to the Mark Frost book, The Secret History of Twin Peaks, which came out last year. Mm. Um, I, now, I've if read we, it. Have you guys read it? I've read bits of it. I read bits of it. Oh. I haven't read all of it. I know. It. I haven't done my homework. I'm but, a terrible person. Um, I do. If you don't have it, I should strongly recommend you get it. Um, other than the fact that it's about Twin Peaks, it is just a beautiful looking book. Yeah. 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 And so gorgeous inside. Yeah. Um, but that, sorry, the, I think my reason for that was sorry, saying he lost his pra- his license to practice. So in that oh. book, it's revealed that uh, partly because of all the Laurel Palmer stuff, I oh, fell in it, love with your underage. How did patient. he have a license to practice? <laughs> in the first yeah, no, 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 he, uh, yeah, so he's been he was stripped of his uh, practicing license. So clearly, he's doing some crazy shit out in the woods. Yeah, right. So we've talked about Ben and Jerry. We've talked about J- Jacoby. Um, heartbreaking time. Yes. Oh. Margaret. Margaret. Uh, the long lady. Oh, my God. This I, this was my favourite scene of... Yeah. Um, the scene between her and Hawk was my favourite scene of um, part one. Partly because it's two old characters, but just because it's just so beautiful yeah. and so sad and so full of pathos. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until while I was watching it the first time, I was thinking like... Oh wow, she really—they've really made her up to look really, really ill. And then you just realise, I don't know. Well, she's no longer with us now. She was probably she was, actually no, she was really dying. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they filmed that because obviously she's on the phone and it's so disconnected. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was filmed not only. Um, separate to everything else, but maybe well before everything else. And I think built you're right. The yeah. scene around it because. And if that is true, how heartbreakingly beautiful that this this actress and a director whose professional relationship goes back to more than 30 years, mm. that in the last months of her life, maybe even the last weeks of her life, yeah. she went back to this beloved character and he went and shot her in a way that uh, just gives her that, that uh, involvement in this wonderful return and it was just... And, and incredible dignity as well. Like yeah, yeah. just and just this 
beautiful scene between her and Hawk, two people who clearly have aged. I mean, to be fair, I think Hawk looks like he's aged 50 years rather than 25. But in that cool way. <laughs> but in that cool <laughs> way, exactly. Silver fox. Yeah. I know. Um, and clearly there's this, I mean, and you didn't get a sense of this in, in seasons one and two, but this spiritual, mystical connection between the two of them. It's just yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the few people that just doesn't call her the log lady. He actually uses her first name, Margaret. Margaret yeah. Lanneman. Yeah. There right. you go. Well, actually, um, I, I, I disagree oh. with that because well, I think um, a lot of them don't call her the log lady first time around. So Cooper doesn't. Yeah. Uh, Sheriff Truman doesn't. Yeah. So there are all of these, particularly the older generation of characters that just treated her with a lot of dignity in that first first and second season as well. Yeah. And it was um, obviously they'd say, what did your log say, Margaret? But they were, they would call her Margaret. Oh, and, okay. and uh. So there was there was a lot of kindness shown towards the character in the way she was depicted first time around and, yeah, just taking it to the next level this time around. It was really Yeah, for sure. Really what, who have we missed? We've missed... Oh, come on. Lucy. Did we not see Lucy and Lucy Andy? Lucy and Andy. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh... We're going to probably have to say more about that in future episodes as it unfolds. Um, okay, well, maybe we won't talk about Lucy and Annie, but let's talk about Lucy's desk. <laughs> oh. It seriously has not changed in 25 years. Nope. There is an old analogue phone. The <laughs> microphone of her PA is the same as 25 years ago. The only thing that is new in her little world is a Canon printer sitting behind Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got to have one of those. <laughs> Although I did notice there was a family photograph in the back there. So it's uh, her, Andy, and I guess presumably it's the uh, the grown-up. Was that in part one? I don't know yeah, if it was in part one. I think you can see the photo maybe. The, the photo in the background. It is the worst Photoshop. It looks like it's been cut out like a ransom note. Like it, it's heads that are stuck on, a, on bodies that listen, don't... Listen to the award-winning animator just picking it up. Just oh, like, yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I was just like, oh, cool, they've got a photo in the background. <laughs> does, does anyone know what the significance of the man selling insurance was to that oh, I've got no I, idea. Other than to establish that there were two Sheriff Trumans? Apparently. I think that's probably all it was, really. Yeah, probably all it was, but also... Um, Non sequiturs of uh, <laughs> life in Twin Peaks always have been. I mean, I'm not yeah. suggesting it had to have a purpose, but I just I was curious by it. Yeah, yeah. I think he just I think he just heard that Sheriff Truman was the current sheriff. He sounded like like a door to door salesman kind of guy. And then when confronted with the fact, well, who are you actually um, talking to? Oh, uh, I don't know. What, what there's two Sheriff Trumans? So yes, we will find out at a later stage who the other Truman is. Is it a son, brother, uncle, whatever? Who knows? So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we will find out. We'll find out. Particularly interesting because the guy who originally played Sheriff Truman is not... He's not in, he's not in the list of returning... No, he's not. Uh, he's a, he's retired. He's officially retired from acting. Mm. Michael Onkin. I think he's living in Hawaii. Yeah. He's mm. probably got Jacoby shirts. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't even know if he was even asked to come back, but we, we know that he's definitely not I, coming back. There, there is um, a, an amazing writer called Brad Dukes who wrote a book uh, that I could not recommend more highly uh, called Reflections, an Oral History of Twin Peaks. We are yes. writing it down uh, right yes. now. Uh, yes, write in it fact, down. In fact, you can write it down. Uh, you don't listen, Honestly, if you're listening to us at home, you don't have to write it down. You can visit our website, daveandlynch.com. So that's daveandlynch.com. All of the show notes, all the links to this stuff, if you, you know, everything that we've said in passing, hopefully will uh, will pop up on the uh, website there so you can have a look. Links to the books. Uh, reflections, the secret history of Twin Peaks. Photos of stuff. me in Snoqualmie, Washington. Oh, photos I, of Lynchy in Washington. I stayed at the Great Northern. And oh. guess what I found tucked away in my parents' cupboard the other day. Oh, no. Does anyone <laughs> remember the book The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer? Yeah. Yes. Oh, there we go. 
I, You've got it. I've got it. Oh. Wow. It's slightly moth-eaten and mouldy, but it's still there. As as would Laura Palmer be. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Lynchy, you were saying uh, reflections. The book. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So in this uh, in in the book, he speaks to pretty much everybody involved in Twin Peaks, uh, including Onkin, not including Lynch, unfortunately, mm. but. Um, and Michael Onkin comes off beautifully in it. It's, he calls himself M.O. And he often would speak about himself in the third person. He's like, M.O. is a spiritual guy. M.O. believes in that. And it was really so, when you when you think about how Onkin would move and how he'd speak so softly, you could just really picture the real actor speaking like that. But um, from some of the hints that Brad Duke seemed to drop, it seemed that there's something that we don't know about on Keen returning and not returning because for a time he seemed to be. He said something oh, really? like, along the lines of um, looking for my old hat or oh. looking for my old oh. coat, wow. seeing if it still fits, and there seemed to be that level of excitement. And that was in that that late 2014, early 15 period where they hadn't announced anyone, but, yep. it, was, but it, it seemed to be happening. And then it was only a few months later that... He definitely wasn't returning, and it was the certainly the story we've been given is he's retired. Um, but and and I hope that it really is just that because I would hate there to be um, some like some, some sad yeah, some beef exactly. thing because I, I think you know that was that was such a beautiful relationship between Cooper and Truman, and it will be sad to not not have it. Back. I know, yeah. and I was kind of living in hope that maybe David Lynch was just playing with us, but I've got a yeah. list in front of me of, of the. Of 200 names, which is the cast for season three, and his name's not here. So there's this tiny part of me that's still hoping that maybe he'll just turn up and yes, in the same as part, the big reveal, the same part that's hoping that David Bowie shows up too. Oh uh, yes, yes. If the, if they can pull off uh, something <laughs> like that, for those who might not know what the Bowie connection is, I'm sure most fans do, but. Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me, um, a movie that many people hated passionately at the time. Um, but is a really cool Twin Twin Peaks part of the lore mm. and David mm. Lynch film, but very different tone, obviously. Very different different tone. Oh, yeah. Which and I think Bowie's is why it was probably much maligned actually, because people were expecting it to be like seasons one and two, and it's, it was very different. I must say, well, I would love to see Bowie come back, and that'd be incredible. The one person I'd be very happy not to see come back is Chris Isaac. Chet <laughs> <laughs> Desmond, uh, yeah, he's great, and Paul Paul Kiefer Sutherland, back, <laughs> uh, you know, Jack Bauer as a as a bespectacled FBI nerd. Yeah, that's what you need. Um, yeah, I, how how you can say I don't want to see Chris Isaac, but I'm perfectly happy to see little Nikki come back. <laughs> Is beyond me. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you who else we won't be seeing back. Uh, the man from another place is not returning. Yes. But apparently that's more to do with, I think he's had, he's had beef with Lynch in the past. Oh, right. Um, and they haven't seen, I was going to say, they haven't seen eye to eye. That's not a, that's not a, <laughs> sorry. Oh, dear. They haven't seen eye to knee. Exactly. Oh, God. Uh, no, no, that, no, that, that was really not, um, <laughs> that was really not on the cards, unfortunately. So um, uh, is there any other final thoughts that we need to do before we wrap this episode up? I'm just looking through some notes. I think this is. I think we've covered a lot, actually. I think. Look, it was it's one of these things that I think that, as we said, as we said at the start, it's going to be an episode or a part that hopefully just draws a line in the sand and says, "Okay, I know you think what you think it's going to be. This is what it's going to be. If you're in it, come along for the ride yeah. because we got another 17 hours of this stuff. If you're not, that's fine too, and you can just go back and watch the old Twin Peaks and just enjoy your nostalgia. But I think there's enough in there's enough in that and enough. Uh, good memories and good thoughts about the lore and the mythology and the 
returning characters that I think I think most people would be along for the ride, yeah, right? Yeah, I've I mean, I, I think the the critical reaction has been incredible and certainly the people that talk on the internet yeah. <laughs> um, uh, are hugely positive. I, I'm sure there's bucket loads of people that are like, what's this shit? Yeah. But um, I, like I said, I was transfixed and I, I just love the idea that I'm being taken somewhere where I've got no idea where I'm going. I do too. And just as I said, you know, I'm a really big fan of the visuals and the sound and I think they are just... I think he's just taken that much further than um, than the, some, this golden age of television that, that we're in at the moment. I'm really excited. I think there's going to be a lot of surprises. Um, and if you're new to Twin Peaks um, and you just can't bear to watch um, 30 or so episodes of seasons one and two, the New York Times has a great couple of links that shows you how to, which episodes to prioritise if you've got only like three hours, five hours, eight hours, and I think 10 hours. Oh, brilliant. So um, we'll put that on the website. Very good. Great. Oh, actually, I do have one last thing. Yes. And I, I think I can justify why it comes at the end because it was something that I drew from the credits. Yes. And when I say I drew, I mean I and a lot of the rest of the internet. Um, and that is that Carol Stryken, I'm not sure if I've pronounced it correctly, yes. but yes. Uh, who plays uh, played the giant in season two. I don't think he appeared in season one. No, he was in season two. No. He was just in season two yep. from when... Uh, After Cooper gets Cooper's shot. shot. Yeah. Yes. Um, he, one, one thinks, is in that very first scene, which is notable for a number of reasons. Obviously, it's the first scene back after the, the credits, uh, but it's in black and white, yep. which makes you think, well, is it the Red Room? Is it the White Lodge? Yep. Um, but something else, that from the credits, he's not listed as the giant. He's listed as... Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So is it the same character? Well, it's really interesting because I would, I actually wrote down what he said um, in that scene. So here are the things. Listen to the sounds. It's in our house now. Remember 4.30. Richard and Linda. Two birds mm-hmm. with one stone. So it's in our house now, suggesting we maybe it was in the Black Lodge. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as we know, one should never assume anything. Yeah, yeah except that... Um, <laughs> I guess the giant in season two was probably the most helpful entity yeah. of all of the entities from the yeah. Red Room, Black Lodge, yeah, White Lodge, whatever sure. you want to call it. He seemed like the most... Now, I'm, does that still mean he participated in eight Garmin, Garmin Bozier? Probably because you've got to, you know, brother's got to eat. Do, do you want to eat? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, brother's got to eat. you got to eat. You know, like, but, you know, you try and, you know, like I'll eat a steak, even though I know probably uh, a cow was killed in order to do that. But, you know, you just go, well, you just try and do the right thing. Um, <laughs> um, uh, maybe for, for, again, for the people that might not have seen Firewalk with me, who wants to give us a quick recap on Gun and Bozia and the theories on what it is and... What? Oh, a brother's going to eat. I think you're going to do it. Well, I think my this is I don't know if this is a widely held theory, but my idea is that um, that the the denizens of the lodge uh, they do feed on either exclusively or at least you know um, part on the pain and suffering of other people, uh, which is why they wreak so much havoc in the world. Is because they only get to feed or they enjoy feeding off the pain and suffering of other people, and this manifests itself in this sort of creamy corn, disgusting uh, sort of stuff that we see. Definitely see the little man from another place mm. eat it. Um, Bob, I think, is uh, asked to go out and get some. Um, and I can't remember how many of the other... And the, the grandmother, uh, Mrs. Chalfont or Mrs. Tremont, whoever she is, yes. uh, in season two, 
uh, in the real world hates the idea of it can't eat creamed corn. Yes, so yes. She oh, has a reaction yeah. against it. So true. But then in that scene in the movie, um, her grandson has it in front of him. Yes. But it's not in front of her. Yeah. Now. But, but yes, you're right. The Garmin Bosia is what they call the creamed corn that is somehow ingested into the soul, out of the soul and, and eaten by the Black Lodge denizens. Yeah, so this is where we get to the point of... Uh, it, if if all of the denizens of each of these locations uh, feed off that, so they're in some part complicit in the pain and suffering of other people, he seemed to be, the giant seemed to be the least evil of all of them. Maybe mm, he's still eating yeah. Garmin's Bazia, but uh, but he's not. At least he's trying to help. Yeah. Good kid. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, so I, I still am not sure. Not only is it the Black Lodge or White Lodge, but also... Is it maybe the even less linear than the rest of it? Is is that scene? Does that scene maybe happen future in a, yep. in a later part? Because one other thing that he says Nav is uh, you're you are far away, and that's the moment that so Cooper true. disappears. So um, again, is that a flashback from when Cooper yeah. is back in the real world? Uh, who the hell knows? Uh, well, uh, which is probably what we can say about a whole lot of the plot threads at the end of episode one. That's right. Who the hell knows? That's going to be the title of our episode. Yeah, <laughs> who the hell knows? Hey, uh, listen, thanks for joining us. We're going to be doing one of these uh, every part. So we're going to have 18, well, at least 18 podcasts. Maybe we'll do a wrap up at the end as well. And then we're going to do Fuller House. <laughs> no, no. You're on your own. No, sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Damn Fine Commentary with Dave and Lynch. For the complete list of show notes and all the links, visit our website, daveandlynch.com. And if you like the show, there's two things you can do to really help us out. First, tell all your friends. And second, take a few seconds to rate us on iTunes. It makes a huge difference and helps other people find us. Look, did we miss anything? Do you have a comment, a question or a suggestion? Drop us a line at daveandlynch at gmail.com or you can follow us on your social media of choice. We're at twitter.com slash daveandlynch, facebook.com slash daveandlynch, instagram.com slash daveandlynch. <laughs> yep, you get the picture. We're everywhere. Thanks for listening. <laughs>